We're live. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. <laughs> Dana, more than running, here with Molly Seidel. Mm-hmm. And we are here in Boston, in Fenway. And to kick it off, with my Olympian friend, <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about Boston because, yeah. well, let's kick it off with saying, like, why are you here in Boston? Yeah. So... Um, coming out of college, I was at Notre Dame. I had lived my entire life in the Midwest. Um, mm-hmm. I originally thought I would probably end up out west, out in Flagstaff. I really, uh, when I was in college, I really glamorized Flagstaff, that whole scene of mm-hmm. living in the mountains and just running all the time and just yeah. that whole lifestyle. And I, it seemed to me like I was much more west coast than east coast. Yeah. Um, but coming out of college, I was offered a contract by Saucony, mm-hmm. and their idea was to start a, a team in Boston. Yeah. And I definitely, at that point in my life, needed the structure of a team. I needed that kind of support. Um, and so I figured, kind of take a leap, come yeah. out to the east coast. Never thought I'd end up here, and didn't really know what to expect, but. I came out to Boston and just fell in love with it. Really? It was yeah, it's so funny because I think Boston is kind of like it's a I don't know what I expected it to be. Yeah. Um I and think we're recording from Boston. I live yes. in Boston too. So when I say really, it's not like really you like Boston. Yeah. Oh my god, why? why well that's be here. I and it's so funny because like I always imagine Boston as, oh, terrible drivers, everybody's yeah. mean, yeah. and it's horrible weather. And yeah. I got out here, and the weather's way nicer than the Midwest. People yeah. are, I wouldn't say... Global warming might be helping. That, that probably moment. is. Mm-hmm. I've, it's been a very mild winter, so I mm-hmm. selfishly really like that for my running, but it yeah. terrifies me as well. Um but yeah, and like people are much more direct here. Um, we like to say in the Midwest that we all speak passive aggressive or like passive aggressivity as a second <laughs> language. So people are much more direct with things out here. Okay. But I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, driving is still terrifying to me, but um, yes. I think that just kind of comes with the territory. But yeah, it's just there's so much going on here, mm-hmm. and that's what I love. There's arts and culture and people and it's fun and the running is incredible like Mm -hmm. I I love city running I love going out on the Charles I love like coming across the like Mass Ave Bridge as the sun is rising over the city and just being like that is that gives me chills too yeah that bridge too is so like beautiful Mm -hmm. and kind of it's a secret hill yeah (laughs) so it's just like I I love so many things about this city. And then when my sister decided to move out here last fall, so we now live together in Fenway. She yeah. can walk to work. We're I'm in like, Molly's apartment in yep, Fenway. We're... It's beautiful. It's got some cool, like, eagle. Uh, oh, those are the gargoyles out front. Herbert and Gerbert. What do they have names? Yeah, Herbert and Gerbert. Herbert. Yeah, Herbert and Gerbert. So they're uh, they're my buds. I always uh, they keep you safe. Yep they they guard our building. It's a it's a pretty rough neighborhood. No, it's not. We're in like literally the quietest neighborhood. We're in a quiet neighborhood, and it is right next to so much delicious mm. food and coffee mm. and. So, and Fenway Park. So we're about yeah. 400 meters from Fenway Park, which is really, really fun. And How like, fast do you think you could run from here to Fenway Park? Oh, there's a there's Boylston. So if I if I catch the lights correctly, I would like to think I could be there in like 
probably 75 seconds if I like am hauling. I'm not I'm not a mid-distance runner like Dana. I don't have that <laughs> that fast twitch, long-legged thing, so I'm more of a grinder. So and now I don't you're know, a maybe marathoner. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So maybe I can do like a couple laps around Fenway then like yeah, really like warm up into it. So you did obviously the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Um which we're we're going to get back into. We're going to circle back around to the <laughs> Olympic trials. But Boston Marathon. Where does that rank in your list of things? In list of things to do. Boston Marathon, straight up, has always been my number one of wanting to do. So my... You sound like Shalane. I <laughs> Well, so growing up, or my, my coach in high school, it was literally just me on the track team. So it would just yep. be me and my coach running together. Yeah. And if you ev- want the full Molly history background... Mm-hmm. Listen to Julie Hanlon's podcast, Molly, running on all. We we get deep in that one. So. We get deep into the background. I'm going to get into more of the fun stuff mm-hmm. of like all that, but you and your yeah. coach. Me and my coach, Brian Borkowski. So we would run together. Um, mo- He would work a full-time job, so it would be about uh, like half of the week. Okay. I'd be running just with him from a park and ride at my, like near my house in Wisconsin. And every year, Brian would run the Boston Marathon. Every year. Every single year. And so that marathon for me was like the big one in my mind. Like wow. there was nothing that compared to Boston. He would like bring me back like t shirts from Boston. Oh. And it was just like Brian taught me, he was the person that taught me to love running, that running was something that was something that you share with people. Mm-hmm. And it's, something that brings you joy and it's something more than just putting one foot in front of the other and Boston was like the epitome of that where it's like the entire city gathers around it he would tell me about like the Wellesley Scream Tunnel and coming over Heartbreak Hill and all this stuff so like in my mind it was just like this pinnacle of running Mm. and then I moved out here and I actually got to experience what Boston is and it even like even more than that because when you're actually in it the feeling of like I remember watching the year that Desi won, and mm-hmm. I was sobbing as, oh, like, watching her. Like, where were you watching from? So we were right at Heartbreak Hill. Okay. So, yeah, like, on Com Ave, um, we were right by um, Heartbreak Hill Running Company, and that was when she was, like, coming up, like, catching. And wow. it was, like, we had been watching on the stream, and it was just freezing cold. Horrible. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to do it. I was a huge wimp, and I watched in Tracksmith. <laughs> see that's like the better option though like well the funny thing is so mass Ave bridge is Mm. like i ran that morning Mm -hmm. and i ran six miles oh god i don't know if you ran the day of the marathon 2018 but i I think i might have run on the treadmill i was a pussy i I ran on the on mass Ave bridge and i thought i was gonna get blown in like Mm. i i actually thought i was gonna be thrown in the water yeah and so i was like oh i'll just watch from tracksmith and i just we could hear the noise from inside the building. Oh, my God. From Boylston. Because mm-hmm. we saw her in Hereford, and then we ran back in to see the finish. And mm-hmm. then, because the security couldn't get over to Boylston, we heard it. It's yeah. just like, the chills. Yeah, it's just like the whole atmosphere of it. And the fact that, like, the entire city gets off work that day, and everyone just is going and watching the marathon. So now it's, it's a it's Commonwealth a, holiday? Yeah, Commonwealth holiday. Is that the term? I don't think you'd call it a state, because it's not a state. Yeah, so that's a, like, it's... It's just such a cool event that the whole city rallies behind. And that's what, like, like that is my dream of, like, of all the races that I want to run, Boston is number one. And now, especially because it's, like, my hometown race, I do so many of my runs on Com Ave yeah. and the marathon course. Like, I was working down in Wellesley for a while babysitting. And so, mm-hmm. like, 
I would like get down there early and do my runs like straight up and down the marathon course. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like, that's like, that's the big one for me. Have you ever been out on the marathon course on a Saturday during like this time of year? Like a yep, March, the, February? Yeah, March, February is everyone's building up runners. and the final, like the final long run when everybody sets up their little booths along and are just like, it's just normal people handing out like treats to the runners and like cheering you on with signs and it's like they shut down half the roadway so you can run on it it's so cool like yeah no other city does that like it, it's no. such a it's such a cool running culture that we have here in Boston and yeah. just from like the community like run groups like you can go out on the river and find a group to run with no matter like what day of the week yeah. it is what time you're going well I worked for two and a half years here and only I like to say a lot of times, like the only reason why I stayed in the sport and eventually had the opportunity to run professionally was because I had so many like sub elite men mm-hmm. that I could text and call and be like, please run four hundred me. <laughs> like please come do my workout. But it's if you want to go all of do, Dana's workout bays. <laughs> yeah, you know, thank you. Shout out to people who have worked out with me in the past. <laughs> You've got me to where I am today. Uh, but. No, I mean, just, like, the community that you can run, people are, like, training hard. Like, yeah. there's a huge running culture, but people, like, Well, that's after. it. It's, like, it's this, like, idea of elite amateurism that, like, you don't need to be a professional runner to be going out and, like, seeking excellence in your running. Like, yeah. And it's really cool. Like, there are people who go out and, like, yeah, they're working full-time jobs and they're training really hard and doing really well at stuff. Yeah. I, like, I'd love to see, like, some t- statistics of, like, how many like Boston runners qualified for the Olympic trials or whatnot? Because it was yeah. some ridiculous amount. I think the BAA had like the most number from any one club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like men and women. Um, I mean, the men's time is pretty hard to qualify too. Oh yeah, which is crazy. Uh, you've done a couple races in Boston though. Mm-hmm. You've done uh, the BA 10K, the mm-hmm. Reebok. Yep, Reebok 10K? 10K, BA 5K. Um, and then just like general New England races around. I feel like there's so much stuff going have on. You ever done the Falmouth Road race? I have done Falmouth Road race. I did that last year. Um, actually got mistaken for Desi Linden at the end. I don't know how because <laughs> just every single reason for that one. It was a huge honor though. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, haven't done. Um, uh, haven't done BAA half, which I really would love to yeah, do. We'll I see how that one's to... pretty hard. I commentated, I did mm-hmm. the announcing for that one in the fall. Yeah. And I heard it's just very hilly. Yeah. I mean, after Atlanta, I feel like I'm <laughs> pretty well prepared for any, any amount of hills in a race. I don't think it gets any hillier than that. So. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's get into Atlanta for a moment. <laughs> we got to talk about it. You know, I was, I mean. You got bombarded with information afterwards, but I was pretty proudly live tweeting the race because <laughs> I had NBC Gold on my phone. Oh, nice! That um, did not get interrupted by the presidential speech, so mm. I was, you know, trying to keep people up to date. So I was sending these tweets, and I was like, "Watch out for Molly! Like Molly's in the pack!" Like, <laughs> and then I was adding extra tidbits. So you know, if the whole Tate thing got blown in proportion, I will take a little <laughs> bit of the blame because I was like, "She works at Tate. She works at a coffee shop. I love Tate." But you, I feel like we ran together in Flagstaff back mm-hmm. in January, and you had kind of taken this. I just remember going on this run with you and being like, "She is so chill." Like, <laughs> for the fact that she's like trained for Olympic Trials Marathon, like you had told me that you had just driven to. You were driving from Colorado mm-hmm. to Flagstaff. Yep. I mean, just running along the way, like kind of doing your own thing, mm-hmm. and then 
doubling sometimes through ski mo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Up mount. So which ski mo's you have your downhill skis that you put this mm-hmm. like a grippy skin on the bottom and mm-hmm. you basically hike up the mountain and then ski down. And I feel like you just kind of had this completely different attitude, especially <laughs> coming into Flagstaff. So I mm-hmm. never been to altitude training before. Mm-hmm. And like there's a bunch of different groups there and people are training not to like we're not going to talk about other groups really, but like mm-hmm. people are training like super intensely it's wild. and seriously. Yeah. And I honestly like did not want to, I didn't really want to talk to them and kind of interrupt their, their jam. So it was a couple of mm-hmm. times, like we went down to Camp Verde and saw like the Hoka group, like training and all that. And I was like, they're mm-hmm. in the zone. And yeah. then I go on this run with you and you're like, Oh no, <laughs> I never tried nutrition during a run. <laughs> we were talking about like maple syrup and stuff like that. But I actually have to thank you for recommending the Morton drink. Oh, yeah. I like I that one saved me. So Dana helped me reach out to so Morton, really get some product. Deal. Yeah, it is literally, I don't know <laughs> if I'd have made it through without that Morton. So, um, yeah, it, I feel like that was such a funny run. It was, yeah, because it was uh, you, me, um, Erica, and we're just like going and I was so, I felt like being vastly unprepared for what the marathon was going to be. Um, I was just trying to have this, like, approach of, like, it's just going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. I, truthfully, had, like, mentally prepared myself so much for, like, the worst case scenario happening in that marathon. Like, I knew it was going to hurt really bad. I knew it Mm -hmm. was going to be so long. And I, because I didn't know what was coming, I just wanted to have this approach of, like, okay, like, go into it with an open mind. Yeah. You can't predict what's going to happen. So there's no use trying to make definite plans. Mm -hmm. And people kept asking me, like, what's your race plan? What's your race plan? I'm like, I don't know what my race plan is. Like, I don't know what these other women are going to go out. You don't typically make a Mm -hmm. race plan. Well, that's, I, how it works for me. And even like when I'm, when I am racing track, it's the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, the most I can do is prepare myself and prepare my body for, what's going to happen on the track, but I can't predict what other people are going to do. So Mm -hmm. I find very little use in making like a race plan in my head of like, okay, I'm going to make a move at mile or yeah, I'm going to make a move at mile 15 or Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this here. I'm going to do this here because it so much depends on just what the group is doing. So I prefer to like kind of, I don't know. It was so funny because in that marathon, I feel like I just went into like this weird like flow state where I wasn't even like having thoughts. Yeah. Like I knew what was going on. I can remember what was happening at every point in the race, but it wasn't like conscious thoughts of like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to like tuck in the pack here. I'm going to make a move here. It was just like, you just kind of are in it. And then, yeah, exactly. And then like you feel what's happening in the race. So when that move that we made at, I don't even know what mile we were at. I wasn't counting the miles. We couldn't see either because it was not, yeah, it was not on TV. Exactly. They were showing the men at that point. But um, yeah, when Alphine and I made our quote unquote move at mile 20 or wherever we did, yeah. it wasn't even a conscious decision to make a move. It was just we were going up a hill and I wanted to keep going the pace that we were going and everybody else slowed down a bit going up this hill mm-hmm. and suddenly we had gapped the field and that was like literally one of the only thoughts I had that whole race was just like oh boy like you're in it now like you're leading the Olympic marathon trials like just keep going and try not to make yourself an like look like an idiot right now have you done much reading about like flow states and what happens um I I've 
It's funny. One of my favorite books, actually, I I do a lot of rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite books is actually called The Rock Warrior's Way. And it's all about that, like the psychology behind a lot of these things. Yeah. And it's this idea that there you, some of the biggest things holding us back in sports are these mental roadblocks that Mm -hmm. we set up for ourselves and like mental limits that we put on ourselves. So like our preconceived notions of what we can do, your expectations Mm -hmm. and limits that your own brain puts on you. And I like to equate like when I don't, I am not saying that I go into a flow state every time I'm racing. No, but I mean, there's definitely, there's the chick, what's his name? Chick semi high Mm -hmm. definition of flow. And it's like, extremely hard to achieve because you can't have your arousal be too high mm-hmm. yeah it feels like you're just flow. being like very chill it's almost like you're watching yourself mm-hmm. race did you ever get one of those feelings i like didn't feel of- it was almost this feeling of like i felt so fully engaged just in the moment i wasn't thinking of okay what i'd like I wasn't thinking of the miles that were ahead of me or the miles that I'd completed. Run it was the just the mile you're in. Exactly. It was like yeah. and I love that from um is I think that's Ryan Ryan Hall's book, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like it was this feeling of like I'm just fully engaged in what I'm doing right now and I'm not overthinking about how I feel. I know that I'm tired, but I'm not thinking about being tired. I'm just experiencing these things and I just wanted to like take that race as it came yeah and so it was like I wasn't getting stressed out about the bottle situation a mile ahead I was just like you know what we'll figure that out when we get to it or like I wasn't stressed that people were making moves or moving in certain places like I'm just gonna tuck behind I'm just gonna tuck in the group here even like with the conditions with how hilly it was or with the wind windy right it was very windy but i cold and i think a lot of people then were like oh these are horrible conditions and with conditions like that i i try not to think of it as bad or good conditions it's just conditions Mm -hmm. because if i start thinking of like oh it's so windy this is negative everybody's running in that and it's it doesn't give me if anything it's just using up mental energy wishing that conditions were different or like when you say oh I like I wish it wasn't so windy all you're doing is like creating this mental fantasy Mm -hmm. of your perfect race and it's almost like giving over energy and giving over your autonomy to like this I don't know you're almost like wishing that like the conditions around you are going to make the race favorable to you rather than responding in a certain way to take advantage of it rather than saying if I tuck behind this these people and like make use of this wind then I'll be able to like save energy I'll be able to use it to my benefit yeah and I feel like that kind of removes you from like the shoe debate and all this other like conversation almost Mm -hmm. that you had this like naivete about like you don't know you didn't know how much it was going to hurt and you prepared Mm -hmm. yourself that it was going to be exceptionally painful Mm -hmm. but you didn't really let yourself think about all the factors of why yeah well and even like I think Lauren Fleshman had a quote like a long it was a couple years back but it's just like this idea of like embrace the suck and it's Mm -hmm. like don't ever like expect in every race for it to hit that point where it just is hard yeah, and it doesn't feel good and your body wants to stop and being prepared for that moment to come and not fearing it when it does come because it did come and it came harder than I have ever filmed the race Yeah, before. and you had sunglasses on so I could not really tell. It 
hurt so bad. Like those last four miles were so freaking hilly. Was it like a different and hurt than anything you'd ever experienced? Yes. Because it's like, I'm so used to a 5K, 10K kind of hurt where you're just like redlining and you're going fast, but mm-hmm. you know that it's going to be over soon. The last couple miles of that race, it's like you don't even feel like you're going fast anymore. Yeah. Your legs just hurt so bad and you're so tired. Did you feel it in your arms at all? Have you ever had like your yeah. arms get lactic and like mm-hmm. so heavy like to your fingers? Well, that's a like I was just trying like at that point because my legs were so tired to like put the energy into my arms and just keep pumping my arms mm-hmm. to keep moving. But it's just like every fiber of your body is just so tired and your quads hurt but you just know and I was very worried because I could feel us slowing down and I was worried like even when they put that flag in my hand 600 meters from the finish I was like there is still a lot of room for like I know Sally's behind me I know Desi's behind me like and that makes a big financial difference between second to third even I mean yeah other than making the team Mm -hmm. there's still like I don't know if people know that there's prize money in, in yeah. the Olympic trials. Yeah, and that was like, even just the sense of like, it was, I wasn't even thinking of the prize money at that point. I was well, just like, don't, you know, lo- like, don't lose. Second. Don't, yeah, don't, you're so close to the team right now. Just don't yeah. lose this team. Like, this is, it's like, you're 600 meters away from like everything you've ever dreamed of. Don't fuck this Just up. don't fall. Yeah, exactly. And that was... Because I've seen so many instances of, like, people tying up in the last four miles, even in the last, like, two miles, or hell, like, mm-hmm. falling in the last 600 meters of the race. I'm just like, just hold it together. Do you think that if you had run another marathon, or with this marathon experience, you could have tried to go in for the win? No, that's the thing. People were like, you were so close to Alphine. Could you, like, you should have just tried to catch her. Alphine was by far the stronger runner on that day. Yeah. It was, if anything... She was the one who kept me going on that. It was the fact that, like, Alphine is a friend of mine. And she yeah. was, like, literally talking to me. And, like, really? we were talking back and forth. And she was like, come on, you can do this. Go with me. And so we were helping each other push. But it was, if she hadn't been there, if yeah. I had been trying to, like, solo that or in no man's land, I do not think I would have done as well as I did. Was she working with her other teammates earlier in the race? Do I think so. So we were all in such a big pack. I know she was... um because Kellen was right up there. I think Steph was a little bit farther back initially. Yeah. Like, I thought Kellen was going to make the team. Oh, yeah. Because she well, was right in that front. My predictions were so wrong. Oh, I busted my own bracket. Like, <laughs> don't worry about that. But I really thought Kellen and then Molly Huddle mm-hmm. and M. M- Sisson. And- yeah. Well, and I feel like a lot of us were using, like, team tactics. Like, even... Like, even though, like, Laura, Molly, and I aren't official teammates. Like, yeah. we're all Saucony teammates. And we were definitely, like... I felt like we were helping each other. Like, I was, like, trying to, like, pace with Laura for a while. Mm -hmm. She had taken kind of, like, that, like, pace setter position for many of those, like, middle miles. Um, I know Molly Huddle got bumped at one point early on and, like, was, like, falling forward. I kind of grabbed her. And, like, and it was just kind of funny because you feel, like, very, like, protective of, like, your own squad for a while. But, yeah, um, yeah, it was... It was nice then because, like, then as it shifts in the race and, like, Alphine and I knew that, like, in those last couple miles it was just going to be the two of us. And if we didn't really, like, get after it and work hard towards that, like, there was a very good chance that people were going to catch us. Mm -hmm. And so it was – it definitely wasn't this feeling of, like, I'm, like, competing with her. I want to beat her because I knew Alphine was a – a much more experienced and yeah. stronger runner than I was. And she 100% deserves, like, she deserved to win. Like, yeah. I was not going to catch that and girl. And top three is the same 
is the same prize, the goal. Mm-hmm. Of exactly. Yeah, it was like we knew that if we could work together and do it, like we were both making that team. And at the end of the day, that's what counts. That's like, all you wanted. Yeah, I was just thrilled to be up in that top three. Like seeing Alphine be able to like take first and like like coming ahead. Like I wasn't even feeling like I have to try and catch her. It was just just hold on. Yeah. And I was so happy for her. Like she deserves the world. That woman works harder than just about anyone I've ever seen. What do you say to people that, um, like, Alphine was not born in the U.S., like, she became an American, mm-hmm. and same with Sally. So yeah. what do you say to those people that are like, oh, what, she's not really an American? Okay, that pisses me off so much when people say that. Yeah. Like, there is, Alphine and Sally are, like, the American dream epitomized. Yeah. Like, they have lived here for both of To be very of, clear, that is not mine. Yes, exactly. And I know you don't think that. It's But I've seen it a lot online. Like, trolls online will say that, like, oh, they're... Yeah, saying that they're not real Americans because they're not born here. Like, like it's... They are first generation. They came over here. They worked a lot hard. Like, mm-hmm. I... I lucked out that I was lucky enough to be born in the U.S. They came over here and had to work for it. Yeah. They, that is what the American dream is. Coming over here, making a better life for yourself and for your whole family. And being able to, like, for them being able to say that they're an American now, like, they can feel fully that they earned that and mm-hmm. worked for that. And both of them have been here for over 10 years, have yeah. had to gain their citizenship. And I think, like... That's what America is about. It's yeah. like, I think it is a very, yeah, like jingoistic and very racist for people to say that because it's like, n- like none of our ancestors were born over here. Yeah. Everybody came over so at like, some time. Yeah. Like whether it's first generation or third generation, uh, we're all Americans and I am so proud to get to be on the team with both of them. Yeah. Like that's a huge honor for me. And I know both of them very well. I know how hard they both work. Like, I mean, they they deserve to be wearing the American singlet just as much as anybody. And speaking of that, the media coverage after, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about your media coverage type of, but kind of, do you feel like you got more coverage in a way yes. than the winner? Yes, and that is like what makes me, I, like I was actually like, kind of like I don't know I felt really bad afterwards because I feel like with me like and it it comes back to be that idea of like subtle racism and like Mm -hmm. because I'm a white girl from the midwest I think it's easier for the media to focus on that probably more of the classic like you fit the visual of the exactly and it's what people I guess like what they want to see it's harder I guess for people to associate with Someone who was born in Kenya, who came over here, worked to be an American citizen, mm-hmm. like, yeah, really, like, strove for that American dream versus, like, I mean, I was born into it. And yeah. I think it is really unfair that people are putting all this focus on me, whereas, like, Elfine won the damn race. Like, she deserves yeah. a huge amount of, like, and, like, Sally is a mom who, yeah. like, has been over here for such a long time, trains in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I think it's just, like... It just comes back to a lot of the problems that there are with the media, with how the games are portrayed, and, mm-hmm. like, they're just as much American as I am, and yeah. I think they deserve just as much of the praise and the media coverage, and I think, like, as we move towards the games, that's something that, like, I I know, I want to be able to, like, highlight, like, all three of us are in this together. It yeah. shouldn't just be focused well, on... Well, you're not Team USA. Exactly, yeah. And it shouldn't just be focused on the white girl from Wisconsin. It should be focused on all of us who all deserve to be here. 
Yeah. So you're very articulate when it comes to speaking about like the media coverage and everything. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because you've kind of been put in this running spotlight since high school? So Mm -hmm. I know you've gone through rough times and good times with your running, but Mm -hmm. there was definitely a microscope put on you as a footlocker champion, a Mm -hmm. national champion. And when you come to these races, are you prepared for kind of these harder questions to be thrown at you because you've been asked them so many times or was this making the Olympic team kind of like oh I'm not I wasn't ready for this type of media coverage no I think I am in a way like I've I've dealt with it like it's kind of like gradually ramped different up levels. exactly yeah so like full locker in high school like it's high school running and I think high school running now is a lot more there was no Instagram oh my god I could not imagine if I had to deal with in high school like the Instagram the like constant social media push on on like high school athletes today because like I mean I was just so oblivious then so it was like there was coverage but it was mostly like within my own state and like Mm -hmm. yeah like whoo Wisconsin state running man that's like high level now so it's like and then like when I got to Notre Dame it was that next level Mm -hmm. and so it's a little bit more coverage NCAA but still at the same time it's not like that national level coverage so I feel like over time it's been like a gradual ramp up and introduction to it Mm -hmm. um and I've gotten better with it and better at handling that and just with some of the stuff I've gone through I've gotten more used to like I mean you learn how to deal with haters online because there's always going to be exactly and like yeah just like the harder hitting questions people asking things like I've been asked questions that are wildly inappropriate to ask a person like basically anything you can imagine and you just learn to deal with it and I think I've adopted the attitude um in my running, like, there's always going to be people criticizing. And I try not to take any criti- criticism to heart from a person that I wouldn't accept um, advice from okay. is kind of my yeah. rule of thumb. Like, yeah, if yeah. I wouldn't listen to this person for advice on my life, I'm not going to listen to them, like, hating on me. Yeah. So let's talk about Instagram mm-hmm. for a second. <laughs> day before trials. Oh my god. Day before trials. How many Instagram followers do you have? I had a little under eight thousand the day before 8, the trials. So you, you couldn't even swipe up at that point. No. And now you have like forty five thousand yeah, somewhere people. around there. It's just like it seems like such a like it almost doesn't seem real. I yeah. I got my check mark officially. Um, yep. Shout out to Morgan. Yeah. Shout out to Morgan. Thank you for that one. Um, Dana's my, sister. My sister also in the media space. Yeah. So it's been it's been kind of wild. It's so wild now. Like getting as many likes on a photo as I mm-hmm. used to have followers. I know. Well, so you used to have, you put up something really funny that I was cracking up at. And I always say with my goal of social media is that, you know, what if I ever blew up like Molly did, that I want it to look the same after I got mm-hmm. big as before. Like, I want to keep the same message. I want people to know who I am, keep the same brand. But you put up the funniest thing that was like, all these nice pictures are really messing with my iPhone quality. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> because basically my... I always struggled in the past of, like, getting actually, like, okay quality photos. Mm -hmm. Like, it's usually, like, these, like, horrible iPhone shots that, like... Yeah. Yeah, I'll, like, take on the track. It's uh, kind of joking that now I've got all these way too nice quality running photos and it's really messing with my blurry iPhone aesthetic that I had going. But I feel like you have this... From the outside perspective, your social media brand... Is, is not to have a brand. <laughs> it's not to have a brand, but in a way, you curated a brand. Mm-hmm. The donut thing. Yeah, the donut thing is a big... I try to do it in stuff that, like, 
actually like applies to my life. It's a lot of donuts. A lot of donuts. Uh, would you seek out a donut sponsor? If someone offered me a donut sponsorship, I would take that up immediately. Would Molly run on Dunkin'? <sighs> Are you more of like a, a donut connoisseur? See, I... That's the thing. I love Dunkin'. Don't get me wrong. You're um, in Boston, so be careful. Yes, I have to. So <laughs> I feel... I feel like I can't hone in on the Duncan one because my Saucony teammate, Tim Ritchie, mm-hmm. Duncan is his thing. Like, and Saucony had Duncan shoes. Saucony had a partnership with Duncan, but I feel like I always associate Duncan with Tim Ritchie. Mm. He literally knows he could go to any city and know where the closest Duncan is. It's like a spidey sense for him. It's really weird. I think he must be born in Massachusetts. Exactly. That's and what my roommate's like. Yeah. She, she has got the iced coffee. In the winter, uh, gloveless. Yeah. Uh, iced coffee or inside then the styrofoam sleeve. Like, it's that, yeah. and see, coming from the Midwest, I didn't grow up with that. Like, okay. I grew up with, like, after church on Sundays, going to Dottie's Corner Store, getting okay. a bag of crullers and a pound of hot ham with rolls, and, like, that was, that? like. What is hot ham? Oh, my God. It's literally just fresh sliced ham that's hot. You get spicy brown <laughs> mustard, and then Kaiser rolls, so you get the rolls free with a pound of hot ham. Oh my gosh. That's a, yeah, that's I've like. Never, that is the most Midwest thing you've said this entire time. <laughs> but yeah. So Hot yeah, damn. that's just like the normal, normal like post church thing on Sundays. So, I love that. Yeah, that was my like introduction to donuts. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would not be opposed. My favorite places around Boston are like, obviously Duncan is the most ubiquitous around Boston, yeah. but then like Union Square and Davis Square donuts are both oh, like yeah. two very good ones. Providence, um, the last time I was down to visit Molly Huddle down there, Need Donuts mm-hmm. is next freaking level. Like, those are such good donuts. You might have to be agnostic because then you can't mm-hmm. keep exploring. Well, my favorite thing to do is to go to races and then, like, it's really fun after races to ask people. Like, everybody knows where the good donuts are in town. Where were the good donuts in Atlanta? So, there was one, like, Bob Marley place that I really, I, now with, like, because we had had this donut tour of Atlanta planned out for the day after the marathon. My friend Billy came down. He had mapped out different donut places. You were a little busy. Uh, that, yeah, the whole <laughs> Olympics thing kind of threw that to, uh, threw that into chaos. But, um, so next time I'm down in Atlanta, I'm hoping to race Peachtree maybe down there this summer. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll have to. kind of kicked off your, your tour of the year. Yeah, well, Peachtree, it kicked off the tour, but also almost ended it. I, uh. I had had surgery on my hip the year before, mm-hmm. basically to like weld my hip back together yeah. because I had a. I know. I feel like every time we ran together, you had either had something else. You had yeah. something, or we're like, I ran ten miles. So I was like, I thought you you were just broken. But yeah, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm a zero to one hundred kind of gal. But um, yeah. So Peachtree, I ran it, and I actually really re-injured my hip again. I got a stress reaction Ooh. on the opposite side. Was so I was on crutches for two weeks after that, and um. That was kind of the impetus to, to move to my my new coach that I have, um, John Green, and uh, try and start figuring out a different way to do things because yeah. I felt like I was kind of just like banging my head against the wall over and over and not yeah, yeah not fixing the things that I needed to to fix. And so and what are the I mean you said you mentioned before in a way that's like you needed a team out of school mm-hmm. and now you're kind of independent yeah and you are. Your own boss. I mean, mm-hmm. Sakani is your boss, but you are your own boss and you get to make your own decisions. What was like the biggest challenge in leaving that kind of team safety net? Um, I think with the team, it's definitely like kind of having training wheels on mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, there's so much that's 
it, you can rely on like to be done for you like uh, coordinating altitude camps that would be something the team would do um just like training wise like you know you're showing up to practice every day you know exactly where you're going um so it's a lot more con- it's a much more controlled environment mm-hmm. but at the same time like I'm the kind of person that kind of thrives off of independence and chaos in a yeah. way um like I'm the kind of person to just decide to drive cross country and yeah. to go to altitude camp or to go to Ethiopia for a month to work with the foundation and train out there and so um, that kind of freedom is what I was lacking mm-hmm. um, and the ability to even just run with different groups around Boston. So like yeah. now living downtown, a lot of the people that I train most often with aren't necessarily other pro runners. It's yeah. maybe like sub elite runners who run uh, run at a very high level but are not on professional teams mm-hmm. um, and just linking up with people I can go with different groups I can run with Cortado Club on Thursday mornings yes. like my friend Chris Batu who's a, a Trinidadian runner who's actually now right around kind of my same marathon time we do a ton of our workouts together like I ran with him this morning and and with the Tracksmith group with the BAA or the New Balance group and then back with the Saucony people again it's I love being able to have that freedom where I don't it's not necessarily a team structure, but it's a community structure. Mm-hmm. So you always are with people. Yeah. So what is like a typical day for you look like? Mm-hmm. Are you kind of scheduling out your runs for the week? So mm. coach gives you, you're, you said you're kind of this partnership between your ND coach, Notre Dame coach, yep. John Green, your knowledge. Mm-hmm. So week of marathon training back in Boston what does that look like so it's actually kind of funny because John is very good with giving me a lot of independence in my training he Mm -hmm. trusts me with a lot and I think it's the fact that he trusts me to not overdo it so he basically he writes out a general like layout of what the week's going to look like like what days the workouts are going to be like our big sessions Mm -hmm. um when I'm back here, I'll meet up with him a lot more to do like easy run stuff. But for the most part, he gives me the freedom to figure out what mileage I want to do on my easy days, where I want to add in shakeouts. He'll give like a general outline of like what mileage he wants for the week, but it's not like he's not telling me every single day what to run. Mm -hmm. And even on workout days, it's very, very flexible, which I think has benefited me a lot in terms of staying healthy. Um, if I'm not feeling good on a certain day, he is very quick to just cut the workout because yeah. he knows if I tell him that I'm tired or hurting, that I'm really tired or hurting. So he takes that to heart. Um, Do you think you've had to like self-reflect and have more yes. that accountability <laughs> of like, I am hurting? Yes. And I, in the past, I was an absolute hammerhead. I would not take days off. I would mm-hmm. push through things. And having repeated injuries and repeated very serious injuries. Like, you don't just, like, you don't just break your pelvis. Like, that is due to some very serious oversight. Yeah. Well, I, it, that's the thing. It's, like, I, I used to kind of act like a victim. Like, oh, I'm like, my bones are just weak. I just keep breaking all these bones. I can't help it. And yeah. it took a lot of very serious reflection to be like, no, like, these things don't just happen. These are... Everything has a cause, whether it's I'm not paying enough attention to my biomechanics, whether I am running too much, whether I'm pushing through certain things and not getting enough rest. Mm-hmm. Like, these things have causes. Do you keep, like, a, a, a like a check-in kind of long? I mean, I am god-awful at keeping a log. I'm mm-hmm. not one of those people. Strava has been literally the best thing Strava's my log. It's so funny because I use Strava as my main log now. And it's, like, 
it's kind of nice because I don't, a lot of people are like, oh, like I feel like Strava makes me overdo it because I'm constantly competing. I want to hit these KOMs. <laughs> I feel like I need to keep up. And I don't feel that at all. I use it as a way to connect with people. Yeah. But also to like, yeah, I feel like it's a very good way of like, John can check it constantly. So he always knows exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, I'm not afraid to like put on there sometimes like, hey, like, I shut the bed on this workout or like I'm yeah. just not like running today like I know I just my workout the other day I was like I don't think I'm ever gonna be not sore this is and then just put it out there because I I'm not definitely not one of those people that kind of like writes a mm-hmm. consistent log I yeah. feel like that kind of I have a very similar mentality to you where you got to be more flexible and maybe that's from working for a little bit but mm-hmm. I think it's really cool how a lot more professional runners are a little more willing to share what they're doing yeah well I think that's like I think it's fun in the sense that, like, people can see that there's nothing super special about what I do. Yeah. Like, I run a lot of miles, but, like, my workouts are by and no means. And what's define a lot for? I topped out at 120 miles a week during this buildup. Yeah, so that was, that was a, a doozy. My body felt, felt those couple weeks. Like, I've never been more tired in my life than trying to run 120 miles a week at altitude. So, 120 miles a week at altitude, is that, like, a 15-mile run in the morning and then, like... No, so I would usually... <laughs> I, have, I would split I it up, like... I 1,500. I have no idea. I would actually split it up mostly, like, an easy day would be, like, 12 and 6. Um, and then, uh, like, workout days were usually big. I wish um. you could see my face right now. <laughs> like but see, I do it so much slower than like you are doing like such like fast repeats on the track and I very rarely get on the track. Would you ever want to return to the track <laughs> now? It's so funny because <laughs> after this, like I did not, I not, I didn't really like imagine that I would be making the marathon team this time around. I thought maybe yeah. four years from now when I was 29 that that would be more realistic, mm-hmm. but this time around, I was like, I'm going to go out, run the marathon trials, see how it's going to go. That was kind of my yeah. very <laughs> lackadaisical, you could say, attitude uh, towards it. But I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm just going to see what this turns out to be. And then I'll try to make the team in the 10. But truthfully, I do not like track that much. Like, I yeah. I prefer road running. Track in the past has gotten me hurt. Mm-hmm. And so, and just the, the fact, like, I like doing track 10Ks, but it doesn't set my soul on fire to... To and this say is, this sport but, is definitely uh, strange enough that like if you're not doing it for the love of the game like mm-hmm. we're not this is not like other professional sports you're not yeah. getting the fame and glory and money that of other things so if you're mm-hmm. not setting your soul on fire with what you're doing mm-hmm. it's like yeah how well do you, how do you keep that independent schedule how would you I don't yeah I well and that's the thing it's not to say that I do like like I was still like very invested in making the team for the ten but. I was definitely, it was more of like a, like running on the roads is my true passion. I love going out and doing road races. And now that I've done the marathon, I'm like, man, like Mm -hmm. this is like what, this is truly what I want to be doing. Yeah. And it's funny. I was talking to my best friend the other day and she was like, even in college, she knew that I didn't really like track all that much. And she's like, now you don't even have to pretend like you want to do track anymore. I'm like, I know it's so great. I can like actually like dedicate myself to like what I want to be doing yeah. and I'll still run track 10 Ks. I'm still going to try and go for the track 10 K trials, oh, but really? not, yeah. Oh wow. Just, but not as like a very like, and I don't want to say not seriously, but like to, to, be to there? yeah, to be there, to be in the midst of it all. Like I still do like want to try and preserve my speed, mm. but it's definitely like, I'm not. Would you I, try to move some of that training like off the track to lead into it? I, 
I like in terms of like getting ready for it. Yeah. That was so that's the why I was doing the marathon is because it's really the only type of training I can stay healthy off of. Mm -hmm. Doing a lot of like fast intervals on the track, repeat stuff like that, it gets me hurt very quickly. And so that was our our training plan moving into the track trials. My goal was to go for the 10K team, but back into it. A lot of people do shorter distance training and then move up, just try to extend their endurance. My goal was to have this endurance from marathon training and then try and hone the speed and get ready for Mm, the 10K because that's what would keep me healthy. Yeah. So I'll do that same kind of idea, but now go into it with the mentality of like, okay, I'm not going to be super sharp for this because I'm going to be in the midst of marathon training and prepping Mm -hmm. for the Olympics. Hopefully, if they're on schedule, knock on wood. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a... so yeah, we'll go into it with that mentality and do it as like a fun a fun thing to do. See how fast I can run on the track, but know full well that I'm like dedicated more to road running and that's what it's going to be from here on out. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy that you would go back to the track. What, so one of my questions that I've been trying to ask people that are coming to the podcast is kind of what do you want your legacy as a runner to be like five years from now, ten years from now? Like you, it's your day of your retirement. What have you accomplished? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it doesn't have to be like, in terms of like professional development or like just in general, like like how people see me as a runner. Interpret as you will. Yeah. I think how I would like people to see me is that like, she didn't give up. And that's like, I've, I've had so many times where I've had to like come back from injuries, even as recently as past summer. Like I remember calling coach Sparks after I hurt my hip again and literally sobbing to him on the phone that my running career was over because I thought that was it. Like Mm. after my surgery two years ago, they'd given me a 50% chance of like being able to run competitive competitively again. They didn't know if the surgery was going to take. And so it was, it's really difficult like having to deal with that, like mentally realizing like, okay, this is the thing that I love most in the world and I might never get to do this again. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because I'm too dumb to do anything else, but it was just like, (laughs) It was just this thought, like, I I can't quit now because I feel like I haven't, I haven't done the things that I wanted to do yet. And this feeling like I, I'm leaving something on the table mm-hmm. and I know that I'm capable of more, but if I don't sort my, if I don't sort everything out in my life and get over this victim mentality or yeah. get through some of these things, like, I'm not going to get there. And so that's why, like, I don't know, I feel like I've, there's never been another thing for me that I love as much as this. And that's why I come, even though like I couldn't run for six months, I just keep coming back to it. Yeah. And even like when it's really hard and when you're, it seems like you're sitting at the bottom of this well and you're never going to get back up and you're just like looking up like, holy shit, like I've got to climb that's all that really way. It's really easy like, as a professional runner to be like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, like I am in my apartment in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. on a on a Tuesday, <laughs> yeah, and uh, no one else is doing. It. I mean, it's kind of yeah, like, and to like find meaning in you're, what like, you're a doing, and swimming upstream, and mm-hmm. it's you're not doing what a normal twenty five year old is doing. Exactly, and you have to even in college, like as you're going through like NCAA running, you give up a normal experience of what a college experience is. I don't regret it at all, but realizing like that you're living a very different lifestyle of what is quote unquote considered normal, and mm-hmm. even now it's. You have to weigh, like, are these things that I'm sacrificing worth? Like, do I see this as worth giving this up for what I'm trying to achieve? And for me, 
no matter how bad it's gotten, the answer has always been yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just because I'm psychotic, but it's that like, no matter how bad it's gotten, I'm just like, I'm willing to give everything I have right now to do this. And even if it's funny because like before the trials, I was thinking like, even if I never make an Olympic team, because for me to make the Olympic 10K team was a very far shot. Mm-hmm. And to make the Olympic marathon team this time around was astronomical. <laughs> and so I was having to, like... Astronomically low? Uh, yeah, now well, I'll just... Just, uh, like, if you looked at, like, my stats coming into that race I wish versus had, anyone like, else. Odds. The odds, it was the whole... It was hilarious. I hope somebody made a lot of money putting a long bet on me. Oh, I but wish I did. I would have bet on you. But it was, like, having to deal with the thought of, like, what my legacy would be like if you put all of this effort and time and love into a sport and you don't make an Olympic team, you don't get back any results, will it have been worth it in the end? And the answer was always yes for me. Like, Mm -hmm. even if I never made a team, the fact that I went for it and it's, like, I don't know, it's, this is not necessarily the best analogy, but it's, like, a painter, like, going out and, like, creating art every day even if that painter never gets famous and it never sells for a million dollars, like it's still worth it because you're creating yeah. something that's meaningful Light to you. Like your soul on fire. Exactly. And yeah, like it, it wasn't guaranteed whether it was going to work out, but it's the fact that I tried was the biggest thing for me. And so that's why it was funny going into these trials. I felt like I had the least attachment to trying to make a team. It was like I was doing it solely for the love of what I was doing. I loved the training that I was doing. I was yeah. so happy with John as my coach and just where I was in my life. And I was like, I feel like... And the work that you did. And the work it. that I did leading into it. And I felt like... Not the running work, like the personal work. Exactly. I felt like I was in a really good place mentally and physically, finally. And making an Olympic team wasn't going to change how I saw myself. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't going to like be this epitome moment where I finally like reach enlightenment and I'm happy with everything in my life. It was like, I could go out and like, no matter how I run this race, like I'm still happy with myself as a person. I'm surrounded by people that I love and I'm doing what I love. And like, I could give a damn what happens in this race. If I drop out, if I like, if I get 20th, if I get fifth and then I went out and got second and I was so prepared for like the worst case scenario that I was like, Oh, this is so weird. Cause I was like, I felt like I was, like, very, like, I had all these, like, positive affirmations. Like, your worth as a runner doesn't matter how you place. And, yeah. and then it's like, oh, damn. Like, did that you went tell so anyone, well. I want, I mean, obviously you want to make the team. Like, that's, but did you say to anyone, like, your coach, like, I think I can make the team? I think even John and I weren't expected. Like, the conversation that we had before, he was like, your worst day, you'll take 12th. Your best day, you'll take 3rd. And so that was kind of like our idea was like it was going to be somewhere in that range of like and even with Coach Sparks, he was like, I like I could see you maybe like taking fifth or something. I was like, man, fifth would be awesome. Like that would be so cool going into the next four years, like aiming for that shot of knowing how close I was and like really like using that to drive me. And then it was so weird. Like I find myself in the race in second place. I'm like, whoa, like Mm -hmm. But, like, I didn't freak out finding myself there. It was kind of just that same mentality of just, like, flow state of just, like, you're in it. Just respond to where you are now and don't freak out. But, yeah, I think, like, it was really weird finding myself in that position because I was, like, I saw myself as, like, the underdog trying to, like, claw my way back up. I did not expect to be, like, 
be the one making the move yeah and go like setting that pace then for the last six miles of the race did you ever kind of get out of that flow state or was it kind of like start to finish Mm, by the end of the race like when I was really hurting it definitely I was not flowing at that point (laughs) I was like I got I feel it now it was just like grinding through it and being like just get to the end and and I knew that was gonna happen like the first 20 flew by like, I wasn't even... And you've done a lot of 20-mile runs. Yeah, I've done a lot of 20-mile runs. I did my longest one before that race was a 24-miler with the New Balance girls and on Beaver Creek, and it was just, like, hilarious. So you ran 24 miles. They did not. I No, it was... <laughs> I had run an hour beforehand, met up... They drove in, met up with them. They ran 14 to 16, and M Durgan was there as well, so she did 16 with me, and then I ran a little bit extra on the back end, but... I, like, they were laughing, too, because that was, like, my first time of, like, practicing nutrition on a run. So I, like, took half a Morton gel, like, in the middle of it and forgot to, like, take water or something. It was just, like, it was just a joke. And, like, they're just, like, you are so, like, unprepared. You're surrounded by everyone who also hasn't done a marathon. It's, like, yeah, maybe that works. Well, because, like, Ellie was, like, yeah, in the midst of, like, her mile training, I think it was, like, the next week she went and, like, set the American. Or, no, this was the first run back after she'd set the American record in the mile. And so we're just, like, laughing that it's, like, the two extremes. Like, Ellie is straight up, like, the fastest person I know. (laughs) And I'm just, like, trudging away. I'm a 24-miler. And... Yeah, it's just, like, it's kind of cool that, like, even though, like, all of us in running, it's almost, like, separate sports that we're all doing because it is so vastly different, like, from what you're doing in the 1500 to what I'm doing, but that we can all link up and, like, share different aspects of our training. Yeah, I think that's amazing. It's just Mm -hmm. the best part of it is, I mean, even hearing you say you want to go at the trials, it's like, you're a fan of the sport, too. Like, you Mm want to be at the Olympic trials in the track, like, as a competitor, but also, like, to be there. Well, just, like, the... I feel like what the Olympic trials on the track represents is so much for our sport. And so, like, getting to be a part of that is huge. Like, I know that I'm not going to make the team in the 10K. Like, you know it's what? So- you could say that here first. I, I am saying straight up right now that I, like, it's so funny because, like, I feel like that you said is... said that Mo- before. You've said this before. But that is, like, Molly Huddle's, like, wheelhouse. It's so funny because I feel like we have... Everybody compares us because it's like our lives have been very similar in many ways. She was a Notre Dame athlete. She like runs for Saucony. She does marathons. She does the distance stuff. And so she likes donuts. And so it's everybody's constantly comparing us. But we are vastly different athletes. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have to do the long distance stuff and then drop in and just hope that I have enough speed to do it. I feel like Molly is very like she is consistent and rhythmic on the track. Like I've never seen anyone beat before. Like Mm -hmm. she is an expert at her craft on the track so like in a 10k I would like watching her run 10ks is just like seeing like an artist at work it's so cool and I wish I was that rhythmic but I'm just never going to be able to have that skill on the track that she has Mm -hmm. because it's been developed over time and that's just like her deal and so it's it's really cool to watch and I can respect her in in that vein and know full well that like when I get on the track like that's not where my heart is and I yeah. know that's not not ever going to be my thing but I feel like my motto is sometimes kind of like what is yours will come like oh, when I, like I see other I get that as a tattoo yeah maybe I need to figure out tattoos now I'll get the rings do you have any I do I have one on my wrist that I got right after college oh. um that it's like the Irish knot um oh. I just wanted something to represent my time in the NCAA without like a leprechaun on my ass or something. <laughs> Pending Olympian, where do you think you would get the rings? 
my sister wants me to get them on my left bicep. I feel like I could do that. I've also thought about ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely want it somewhere, like, that I can see because I... I, like, see tattoos as, like, something meaningful to you. And if it's, like, in a spot that you totally can't see, then it's kind of pointless. Yeah. But... I feel like it's the one tattoo that you have an excuse of anywhere you put it, no one can judge you. Exactly. And then whatever way you do it, no one can say. Because it's, like, you didn't do this. So, wait, if I get it right across my forehead, no one will judge me? Um, you know, I wouldn't judge you. <laughs> I would say... My mom would judge me. <laughs> yeah, but I... I I would bet a lot of money you would not do that. Yeah, probably not. I'll, I'll wait for, like, the, the teardrop tattoos for my face tattoos. I listened to the thing about Post Malone about his face tattoos, and oh, he God. was just like, when I look in the mirror, I don't see them. The face tattoos. He goes, but then I get really drunk and I see them. Oh, my God. So maybe that could be like you. When I I'm running, it, I don't see it. I guess it just, yeah, kind of like my wrist one. It just kind of, like, yeah, becomes, like, nor- it's, so, it's so normalized. And I'll, like, not forget that it's there, but it just doesn't seem like, yeah, doesn't seem out of the ordinary and then people are like oh my god you have a tattoo i'm like i mean a lot of people have tattoos a lot of runners have tattoos yeah shelby Houlihan has a lot of tattoos she's she's cool so i have two last questions i want to ask you and mm-hmm. these are kind of open-ended okay. but um what kind of tree would you be no, um, a little a little less open-ended than that but it's kind of one thing that you talked about in this podcast was julia is mm-hmm. like you're pretty analytical when it comes to looking back at yourself mm-hmm. and what you would have done differently and kind of making peace with your journey. And I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I really felt like that podcast was kind of an amazing representation of you because you could really articulate like disappointments and things that you've done in the past and mm-hmm. kind of how you want to progress. So the question is, what advice would you kind of give to a current high school woman who is like looking at you right now like what would you tell her Mm -hmm. and she she's got big dreams but um there's a lot of information out there so it's kind of just you have you got 30 seconds with a high school girl Mm -hmm. like what are you telling her yeah I would say to be able to embrace your failures as much as your successes because truthfully like I've had successes in my life but I feel like the failures that I faced are have been much more formative to who I actually am. It's the times that I have done too much and gotten hurt or through like very yeah, through like the mental health stuff. It's like it's the times that I've struggled that have actually made me who I am now. And that's why when I say like if I had the chance to go back and change things, I wouldn't because I wouldn't have my current mentality and I wouldn't be the person that I am without those things and I think in our culture it's a lot easier to on the Instagram you only show the happy moments you only show the successes Mm -hmm. like everybody wants to see me with the flag draped around my shoulders but it's the times that I've really like had to like question who I am the choices that I've been making that have given me the strength and the clarity to like actually be who I am today um And so I guess that's the idea is, like, don't see your failures as something, like, I'm trying to phrase this in the right way, but it's this idea that, like, just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. Mm -hmm. Like, if I, every time that I struggled or didn't achieve something that I wanted to achieve or got hurt and thought I wasn't going to run again, if I saw that as, like, an immovable part of me, I would not have gotten back to, like, I wouldn't be a pending Olympian I would have just been like okay that's it we're done shut it down find something else to do 
And I think it's the idea that like no matter what happens, that is a chance to reflect and grow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, being able to say like who I am right now is not a static thing. Mm -hmm. And even just looking back four years ago, who I was at the Olympic trials in 2016, that is such a vastly different person from who I am now. Yeah. And I am so glad that I've taken the time and done the work Mm -hmm. to move past that. But it does. It takes work and it takes, yeah, it takes a realization that like I need to improve as a person, but I'm not stuck in this mode right now. Yeah, I think that that's phenomenal advice. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me of I read or heard some business advice recently that was like, a lot. Oh, I think it was Brene. It was Brene Brown. Oh yeah, no. classic. Her Netflix Correct. special. But she said a lot of um, people will come in and she'll do these leadership trainings, and she talks about like fear and guilt and empathy and all these things. Mm-hmm. And they just ask her uh, like, "What can we do better?" And she's like, "No, it's about when you will fail. You you are going to fail. Mm-hmm. Like it's what you do when you fail that makes you bigger, better, and stronger. So it's." Mm-hmm. So you have to anticipate the fact that, like, you are going to fail at some point. Yeah. Well, I think anticipating that you're going to... Everybody, like, when you have, like, these Olympic dreams, I think everyone just focuses on, like, the successes. They see themselves crossing the line and making the team. They see themselves up on the podium. But they aren't willing to imagine the work and the hurt that it's going to take to get there. I think, like... The the point of finding and doing something that you love is being prepared for the times that doing what you love really sucks and like when it really hurts like running hurts running is not fun all the time and it's being prepared for those times where it really sucks it's like who are you going to be when it gets really tough Mm -hmm. and mentally preparing for that not just imagining it being successful and wonderful being like this thing that I love do I love it just as much when it sucks and when it hurts as when there is success and if you can say yes to that if you can choose your own misery and be fine with it, that's what's going to get you through. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's what they say the marathon is a metaphor for life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. No, exactly. Is that a thing? Did I make that up? No, I think that's, I think that's, like I think I've viable. heard this. Having now done one, I'm kind of an expert on them. <laughs> She's the first time marathon yeah. ever <laughs> I know. She's never run ever. When everyone asks, like, advice and, like, oh, like, what are your, like, reflections on this? Like, moving towards the next one. I'm like, I've only run one. I feel like I'm not the person to ask about this. But. Yeah. But in those last couple of miles, did mm-hmm. you come back to those points where you had done that work of reflecting of, all right, I, I'm prepared for this pain? I think it was this thought of, like, I've gone through so much hell and so much pain to quit now. Did you like, think about, your, like, yourself on an elliptical on a trainer or like I didn't like I it wasn't having like flashbacks like yeah like Kill dying. Bill flashbacks to me like in the pool in the movie version of this there are these flashbacks to you like rocky moment training grinding I think it was more just like re- like remembering like all the times that I've wanted to quit and even in workouts like I hate to admit how many times I have thought like in workouts of wanting to quit in races of wanting to quit and it's getting to that point and practicing at that point of like mm-hmm. when you want to quit and when you want to like let up or make it easier, acknowledging that, acknowledging that you're having that thought and not trying to like block it out and not like saying like, no, that doesn't exist. It's realizing that you're having that thought, acknowledging it and then being okay with it and saying, I am thinking this, but I'm not going to act on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And realizing like I've been through harder things than this. I can 
I had my freaking hip drilled into without pain medication. Like, I can make it through this if I can get through that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why women are tougher than men. God help me. Like, I I couldn't imagine actual childbirth, but I figure it's probably about as close as I'm going to get pain-wise to that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, You're kind of in this really cool privileged position now Mm -hmm. where you have this amplified voice kind Mm -hmm. of, what do you want like women's running like what is like your biggest what do you want it to become like you Mm -hmm. are a woman in sport you're going to be an olympian you're going Mm -hmm. to tokyo what is something that you're like this is what women's running needs we all need to do better in i think so going into the trials it was this big discussion over it was the biggest women's field we ever had at the trials yeah um I believe it was like 444 women. So just massive. And a lot of people were uh, arguing that the field needs to be smaller, that it's too many people. I can see where they're coming from in a sense that like it was logistically very difficult for Atlanta Track Club to manage that. However, I feel like where we are in the sport right now, having that big of a field at the trials was the best thing for women's running. Being able to Mm -hmm. see so many women who do like not only professionals, but also just Women who have who are moms, who have day jobs, who are working so hard and qualified for this extremely elite race yeah. is so cool because it's the the fact that like so many people are involved in this and that running is arguably like the biggest participation sport that like you mm-hmm. you can't go out and play on the same field that Tom Brady is playing and like throw the football around and whatnot and be at that level. You can run the exact same race that elite runners are racing and do yeah. that. And push your own limits. I think right now getting people involved, bringing more people into the sport, rather than pushing people away, making it more elite, um, I think that's the best thing we can be doing right now. And making yeah. people see, like, this is a sport for everyone, that everyone can be involved in, that everyone can get excited about. And yeah. I think we need to capitalize on that. Yeah. Like, because at the end of the day, I think people, I think there's a, a desire for some people in the sport to want to, like, separate what we as pro athletes do or pro runners Mm do as separate from what someone who's going out and barely qualifying for a race and running it and it's no different like we're hurting like they're hurting just as much as we are they're pushing their limits just as much as we are and if we can align interests if that's the right phrase or like If we can show people that it's, like, a very egalitarian sport, that Mm -hmm. everyone can be involved in this and everyone can, like, find their own strength, whatever pace they're running or whatever they're doing, and then show people that they don't need to be scared of a 245 marathon, that Mm -hmm. a lot of women can do this and, like, you can do it too. How do you think that we can do a better job of getting more diversity into women's running and, like, distance running? Yeah. I mean, it is a very easily accessible sport but that starting line was predominantly I mean I'm white you're white. yeah a lot of white women that was kind of Mm -hmm. a a critique of that and I think that you have an interesting perspective Mm -hmm. on that as well yeah I think showing that not just one certain body type Mm -hmm. can do things that like I even just like I think it's cool because it's in certain sports it is a very narrow body type and I'm like and there is, there is at the at the upper level, like, I think this idea, like, you have to be a skinny white girl or a super skinny Kenyan to, like, yeah. to, to thrive. But I don't think that's true. I think we've seen from people like Allie Kiefer and, like, that different body types can thrive in this sport. And I think showing people that, like, 
women representation yeah a representation of like going out and having women from different races different backgrounds not necessarily like super affluent white women doing it like being able to have role models in different parts of society to bring people in and say like hey this is a great way to empower young women Mm -hmm. and like getting them involved is a big thing because i think you like from the work that i've done in ethiopia i've like I get to see firsthand how showing young girls... And that Molly ha- has worked with the Girls Gotta Run Foundation. Sorry, yes, I should have prefaced which that. Which is in Bakoji, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and they do a phenomenal amount of work getting middle school. Yep, it's ages 12 through 16. It's a scholarship program, but then also includes a running program, so coaching and running. And these aren't necessarily girls that are going to go on to be pro runners. It's mostly... Showing girls through a culturally acceptable way to have confidence in their bodies and confidence in their competitive drive Mm -hmm. and being able to express themselves. And I think that's what's really special about running. You don't need to be making an Olympic team. It's the, it's, yeah, I know this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's what you learn through the sport about confidence in your own body, awareness of your own body. Um, And especially something recently that was like running has become so popular recently in this age of kind of challenging mental health issues mm-hmm. because it's a way for people after they've if, even if you're you're not air quotes not a runner and you haven't been in it before it's limit it's not that hard to access and then you have these kind of instant communities like we have here in boston yeah and just like even fitness communities it doesn't necessarily need to be around running in particular but like november project and like just like a wide variety of groups that you can go out like I got into running because it was a way of like making my brain quiet down so I could do my homework. Like, yeah. And it was the only time that I felt like my brain fit inside my body sometimes. And if like, <laughs> I'm picturing like your brain. Outside I know. Your body. <laughs> I know. It's just like, it's this idea that like, yeah, like sometimes it's just being able to get that rhythmic quiet in your brain to let things settle down. Like think of what you could do for like kids who struggle with ADHD in school. Like yeah. for me, being able to learn was very contingent on my ability to move. Yeah. Like I couldn't I couldn't write an essay if I hadn't run beforehand because my brain just wouldn't work right. And like think of what we could do if I don't know, if you're Never able to just show kids that like sometimes the best thing you can do for your brain is to just get outside and get moving. Yeah. Do you think that you'd wanna this is this is now Molly retired from running. <laughs> we had your party. Mm-hmm. You did it. You did accomplish everything you wanted to. Um what do you think you'd want to do after something related to the sport or are you kind of in a headspace right now that you, you don't even think that far? Ahead? No, no, I definitely have thought that far ahead just because even like over the last couple of years, I had to come to terms with that of like, what are you going to do next? Like in the, in the 50% chance that you can't run again, like what are you going to do? Um, I would love to get into coaching partially, but I think how the college coaching structure is set up, it is very hard, especially as a woman to do that. It Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily lend itself to being able to have a family. It's kind of like all encompassing with your life. So I've gone back and forth on whether I would want to do that. Um, I would love to continue the work that I'm doing um, with Girls Gotta Run, get more involved in that. Because right now I'm kind of limited with my ability to travel back and forth over there. Um, It's not the closest place. Yeah. And I guess like mental health advocacy, um, I think like now that in the last like year or so as I've spoken out more about it, I wasn't in a place where I could speak out about it. Mm-hmm. Previously, I was kind of focusing on my own recovery. Um, but yeah, just being able to normalize it and like realize like, okay, like this is something that affects a ton of people, especially in the sports realm, especially in the college sports realm. Um, 
I would love to be able to help girls so they don't make the same mistakes that I made because it almost ended my career and I see it ending a lot of women's careers and I don't want every time I see someone going down that same path it's like I I wish I could do more to stop it yeah and And one of the most like poignant things you said in that other in, in conversation with Julia was I don't want people to see those pictures of me on the internet because mm-hmm. I don't have joy from that and that's not it's not who I am. That's mm-hmm. not what I believe in. Yeah. Um how do you, what's a way you think you can kind of get that message a little bit louder? Yeah. I think mostly speaking out about it and like right now it's so funny because like the now with like the media coming out about this race, there'll be like photos of me racing in college and me racing now. And obviously my body is very different now than it was when I was in college. And even though I, I weigh more, I'm stronger. Um, I like that. Those are the images that I want people to see. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to see that like, yeah, like this, me in college winning these NCAA championships, that was my rock bottom. And this is me after four years of recovery and working really hard and it looks different and it takes time but if you're willing to put in the work to do that you it doesn't have to be the end of your story like it almost was the end of my story after that but it because I had people around me willing to help me and because I was willing to invest just as much effort and time into that as I was into my running because I realized I wasn't going to have running if I didn't do it that's what I want people to see, that it's, there can be change and there can be improvement. You just have to be willing to invest in that. Yeah. I think that is the perfect place to end because it's all about um, these conversations between mm-hmm. we're, we're all on the same journey, going mm-hmm. down different paths, and your story I think was extremely helpful for so many people. And we're really excited to see you compete the Olympics mm-hmm. and for Team USA and hopefully grabbing another flag coming down that Sapporo Tokyo finish. Um, I think Molly is an amazing role model and you guys should look more into her social media and kind of other interviews and stuff and kind of learn more beyond this. But this is a kind of a cool moment in time because you have this little bit of perspective from one of the greatest moments, hopefully, of your life of qualifying for the Olympic team. And I'm just so grateful to be part of it. Thank you, Molly. Thanks so much, Dana. More Than Running with Dana Giordano is brought to you by the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. This episode was produced by Chris Chavez, music by Anna Sophia. I'm your host, Dana Giordano. Thank you for listening, and thank you for running. I only want a few close friends. The rest just pretend. Alternate people kissing in the stairwell. I want this day to end. Text my mama so I don't lose hope. I didn't learn anything I didn't know. Always yelling, get off your phone. Screw that, I'm going home. Did you hear that? Nah, I'ma take a zero. Just call.